Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicle Stories of the Supernatural and today I have a fantastic lady to interview. Her name is Tui Snyder and um, she's an author. She's written several books including the one that I'm just dying to talk to her about which is Cemetery <laughs> Symbols because as you could tell from some of my shows I go on what they call cemetery runs which is I go through all these different cemeteries from the ones in the major cities to those little rural cemeteries um, that popped up especially here in central florida after the civil war and as a matter of fact i was discussing with her before we started rolling that uh so many times you know i see symbols especially on these old um the ones that actually uh you know would write stuff especially the poor cemeteries that i was like i know this means something but i just don't know what it is <laughs> so here we let's get going how are you doing Tui? how are you doing today Oh, I'm doing great. I'm really excited. Glad yes. technology is cooperating. <laughs> oh, yeah. Believe me. <laughs> That's, I did a whole show on that. I'm paranormal sabotage where one time oh. it seemed like, you know, after I had checked all my stuff on my connections and my camera and my audio, everything went south. So I know, I know I'm going to, I call it paranormal sabotage, but I know that sometimes we're at the mercy of, uh, of electronics and computers and stuff like that. If they don't want to cooperate, oh, yeah. we're rattle up <laughs> but anyway I, I know you um you're an author you've done several books about the paranormal um, yes i'll do show and tell yeah. <laughs> i brought them all here well no i as a matter of fact i'm going to put a link but i do have uh, a slide with all your last four books oh. okay on there and you're, of course a link good. to um to you know what the about your books but the one i mean you did you one for paranormal texas companion workbook i'll get into these too I've oh got yes i saw hunt. that i saw those and that i've those, got this one this is so right fun. that was a ghost hunters workbook and the what was the other one the um, the graveyard journal the graveyard like, i was looking at that i was like oh my god what is that i i'm filling mine up i it's fun because anyway we can talk about it later yes, I'm, yes. I'm getting ahead of myself i'm just excited so um <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you what I ask everybody. How did you get involved with the paranormal? Was it something that happened to you as a kid? Was it an adult? What happened? Oh, it was definitely um, something that happened to me as a kid. And I, I pondered all the time. I am the youngest of three kids mm -hmm. by quite a gap. There's like seven years and 10 years. Wow. And okay. when you're the youngest, you kind of know you're, when you say there's something went bump in the night, it, it gets People are like, oh, yeah, honey, you and your big <laughs> imagination. And I admit that I have a big imagination, right? I get that part. But uh, starting from about age 11, 10 or 11, we lived in this one house. And this continued the whole time I lived there. Okay. But it would just be randomly. Now, it, it would happen. And so this is why I have a pet peeve, too, where people think that the paranormal only happens at 3 a.m. or something. Oh, or maybe sure. Midnight. Yes. No. You could, you could go on about that. Because when you're 11, yeah. This is a little pet peeve of mine. Okay, so when you're like 11 years old, your family doesn't leave you alone at 3 at the night, you know. Mm -hmm. But what would happen is maybe they'd all go grocery shopping or somewhere. They'd all be doing something. I'd be home alone. I remember the first time I was playing with my hamsters okay. <laughs> and, and, my, and my train set. I had a really cool train set trying to get my hamsters to ride the train. They weren't into it. I was like, oh, well, whatever. When I hear, you know how when you're little and you're told not to jump on the bed? Yes. So of course, you know, when they're gone, you jump on the bed. Well, we had this um, guest room. It wasn't anybody's official bedroom. It was just that grandma came or a guest came. Right. It was downstairs, kind of below my bedroom in, in a room over. Well, 
I knew exactly what it sounded like when someone was jumping on that bed. So I'm sitting there going, come on, you know, I want you to Houdini was the name of my hamster. I want you to ride the train. And all of a sudden I hear, um, you know, bounce, 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 bounce. Someone hmm. is bouncing on that bed. And I know I am home alone. So I was terrified that first time. It went on for maybe 10 minutes, which seems okay. like forever. I've sh- so I, I, tell- I was terrified, stayed in. I told everybody, they come home, they search the house, nothing. So I, they just, oh, honey, you and your big imagination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I kind of forgot about it, as you do. Um, yeah. And what do you know, maybe three months later, or I don't know how long it was, it happened again. And I mentioned it again. Finally, I quit mentioning it, but every few months when I was home okay. alone, sometime it happened like at 7 p.m. So this would, this bouncy would happen. Finally, after I don't know how many months, I decided I've got to confront this thing. And I, okay. the thing about it was it sent me – the good part about this was because no one, I couldn't explain it. No one believed me. Mm-hmm. I went to the library. There was no internet then, so I couldn't right. Google this. So we lived in the university town, and there were all sorts of libraries I could go to. I went to the, mostly the public library, and I checked out. I asked about this. The librarian was wonderful. She pointed me to the ghost section, and I started going into the adult section at that age and finding all these books on metaphysics, Edgar Casey, reincarnation. Uh-huh. And because of, I couldn't explain this, it turned me on to this whole, what, you mean adults do believe this? There are some adults who do believe this and actually research this. And I started doing yoga, which is silly when, I mean, it's good, but uh-huh. when you're 11, you're like a pretzel. I mean, it's, I, I, yeah, it's I, like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I put my head behind me. Why, why is it so hard? Oh, no, oh, I could be like that now. <laughs> but um, so, but, uh, so I'm really grateful to this. At the time, I was so mad because I didn't want to look dumb. I, in front of you know, everyone else, it seems so smart. I mean, they are. You know, they're older than me and so much more capable. And, uh, but this went on and on. So finally, I decided to confront the ghost. I decided, well, maybe it's some sort of poltergeist from reading. Right. It was noisy ghost, which fit. And so I was doing, I was taking notes on this stuff. It really got me into it. And uh, I go run it down. I put an afghan over my shoulders. And I had the cat in one arm and a pool cue in the other arm. And I felt, <laughs> I, I thought that was going to keep me safe. And love it. Something, something, something. I go love running, it. running downstairs. I'm standing out in front of the door and I'm going, What are you? And I can still hear it. Something, something, something. So I kick the door open. Luckily, it wasn't shut all the way. Uh-huh. And it stops. And wow. the cat goes, Rear! Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and I, and uh, I thought, Okay. And I flick the light on. And I run around and put my hands around because I'd heard that it could, you know, by that time I'd read that paranormal activity could cause cold spots. But it was undetermined. It was, you know, it was a basement. So it was kind right. of, cool, you know, I don't know. But long and short of it is it showed me that recurring incident showed me that there's more to the world than the five senses and everything. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And it got me, I, I connected with another girl and she and I, I don't know why she believed me, but she believed me. And we would start trading books on that, you know, Edgar mm-hmm. Casey and all these other things and reading whatever, Rosicrucians, you know, anything we right. find out, mysterious right. stuff, trying to find an answer. And finally, one day when uh, we were about 15 or 16, I think, we were doing homework at my house and everybody was gone and it happened. Just something happened and I was so happy finally someone was there with me. So we went running. I was just like, yay, come on down. She was all scared. I'm like, yay, isn't that great? There's nobody in there. Come on. Like, yeah, because, because by now you were, you were like, I can handle this. Uh, yeah, but I was just happy that someone else was hearing it. I forgot to be scared. I was like vindicated. Like, yay, another living person heard it. So, and I do have a funny connection. Years later, my stepdaughter, when she was little, 
Mm -hmm. We lived out on this little tiny island, and there was a population of seven out there, and that we were caretakers for some people. That's why we got, we got to live out there. And this, she told me that when she would walk down on the beach and around the corner to this one cove, she would hear Indian drumming, like Native American, wow. but not, not very often. And our our island was known, like the there were no Native Americans living there now, but they had, it was a special island to them. They would come over and uh, cut the cedars down there to make their canoes because it okay. was kind of, um, you know, back in the day. Uh -huh. and, but I, I, my first imprint pulse was, uh, I'm sure she's just hearing boat hulls slapping on the water. Right, right, right. But I remembered how I felt. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, tell me next time that happens. And I thought, you know, I didn't want her to feel like I did that frustration. Yeah. I wanted her to know she was believed. And my friend from, from childhood who'd heard the something in my house came to visit us out on the island. Oh, really? And I kind of forgot about what my stepdaughter had said. She and I are catching up. We're walking along by the, the water's edge. And all of a sudden, she's like, do you hear that? I'm like, uh, yeah, it sounds like drumming. And we heard the, this, like, you know, that kind of doom, 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 yeah. doom, doom, doom. And I was like, oh, well, maybe so there, someone must uh, come visit the island around the corner. They're having a drumming circle. So we walk around the corner. And no. that very same cove, we walk up, and we get right to the spot where suddenly my, my stepdaughter's story comes into my head. She said, and mom, as soon as I get to, the, to their bottom step, it stops. I'm like, the sound stopped. Okay. I got chills, and I'm like, holy moly. And we ran up and looked all around, nothing. And I was so excited. It was kind of interesting that it was the same girl who had, or yes. even now she's a woman, who had heard that with me as a kid, you know? And so right, right, right. Little... And let me ask yeah, you something. So... No, afterwards, when you all grew up, because I know sometimes I've heard of families that while it's going on, they kind of do exactly Ooh. what you say. Everybody's like, no, no. And then later on, when everybody grows up or sometimes moves away, they kind of fess up oh. that they had their own experiences. They yes. Okay. There was one or two things. I need to mind this a little bit more. But apparently there was something going on. My dad would hear something in our house. He would hear someone knocking down on the basement, like the back door. Because it had like a little mother-in-law apartment uh -huh. kind of thing. And when my, when my older sister was in college, she lived there. And so she'd go out on dates and, you know, and come okay. home late at night. And he thought maybe she'd forgotten her key. So he'd hear knocking. And he'd go down and check the door. Nothing would be there. He'd go upstairs, and like 10 minutes later, she'd come home. And he thought it was a weird coincidence. So I, I learned this years later. I'm like, well, thanks. You know, <laughs> I need to ask them all, like at Christmas, like, come on, fess up, people. What else, you know? But at the time, right, I was right, the only because, one. And it makes you think that the thing I'm jumping on the bed, you think of a little kid. You know, mm -hmm. like. Maybe. You know, Although, that's usually who's, who gets a thrill out of getting on the bed and jumping on it. I know it was a thrill to me. It certainly got my attention. I sometimes wonder, maybe the whole purpose of it was just to get me questioning things. I mean, yeah. maybe it's some aspect of myself from the future. Or maybe, you know, I get really out there in my thoughts. I'm like, maybe it was just something to keep my mind open. It, it definitely kept my mind open. And it made me nicer to people who say they have something weird. Because I'm like, I kind of respect what they're experiencing. Because, you know, it made yeah, me less judgmental. It gives you a little so bit of empathy and say, you know yeah. what? I know what it's like not to be believed or to be poo-pooed. Oh, do I ever? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just because I'm a little kid. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and so I'm always respectful because I think little kids are, I look back, I had a lot of experiences as a little kid where you just, I'd hear things, you know, or I, I would just know things that I wasn't supposed to know sometimes and I didn't know how I knew them. So I, then I would try to find a reason to know. Yes. How did I know that they, I can't think of a good example right now, but just a little, so I think, you know. Oh yeah, I think we all have 
you know, um, I remember when I kind of did something. I, I didn't have, because of an experience, but I was one of those library geeks even when I was a Me kid. Me too. And, but back Libraries then, the only great. thing they had was like Hans Holzer. You know, they didn't have like the yeah. all the books that they got now. I know. Um, now it's like, wow. And then there's Google and there's Show yeah. Yours and, you know, wow. <laughs> there's a, you know, there's a million things. And um, mm -hmm. he was like the only one out there that was really putting out books. But most of the stuff took up took place up in those properties up in the Northeast U.S. And uh, yeah. that was my introduction to it. And <laughs> I remember... Um, it was, I, I didn't have an experience that I really think about it till I was like in my teens and I didn't realize what it was until later on because when you're yeah. a teenager, you're, you pay attention to everything There's a lot but going that. On. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened? Fast forward, how did you, I mean, obviously you have that interest and I, I, that, the, that's yeah. the point I was trying to make. I know what it's like when you, as a kid, you have that interest in it and it mm -hmm. still keeps going with you mm -hmm. as you become older. Oh, it does. And, um, and then of course, you know, during the 80s and 90s and everything, more and more authors started coming out with uh, either metaphysic, you know, metaphysical books, uh, mm -hmm. things of that nature. Even though I'll tell you, uh, I think what put me off for it like a, for a while was back when the first time I saw The Exorcist, which I went without my mother's permission. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh, my I God. Oh, <laughs> And it took I'm me a glad I didn't see that for a long, long no, time. No, my, my mom had told me, you can't go to see that. I've heard that that mm -hmm. movie, you know, because it was making all the papers. And I have yeah. an uncle who was much younger, like you said, like a 20-year difference. And him and his okay. wife are going to go see it. Mm -hmm. And they said, you want to go? I said, yeah. She, uh, and, I'm, and I tell my mom, oh, I'm going to go with uncle. And she goes, what are you, gonna go, what are you, what are you guys going to go see? And I said, oh, the day of the dolphin had just come out. I said, oh, we're going to go see that movie. With, I lied. I lied. Yeah. But then it caught oh, no. up with me because, you know, of course, I saw about the first 20 minutes of the movie and then the rest of the time I could I was freaked out. I couldn't even look at the at the screen. I made my uncle walk me to the door. So that <laughs> night I go and I sleep with my mom, but I not only sleep with her, I'm like on top of her. She's like, what's wrong with you? You know, what, what are you doing? And then like, oh, I had oh to gosh. fess up. I started crying. Wait. I went to see that movie. I told you not to go. <laughs> My older sister did something like that with me. She took me to some horror movie. I can't, I don't know the name of it to this day, but it was. But, um, you know, we lived in a college town, so they'd have classic movies come through that you could go see. So she thought I was going to see Gone with the Wind. Uh -huh. But I actually go to see, like, you know, Bloodbath City 4. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. And so after that, and, um, they're like, after that, I'd ask to go to a movie. They'd be like, I don't know. You had nightmares after Con with the Wind. So this one might be. And you're like, well, gonna be okay. For me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I can't fess up and explain what I really saw. Saw, because if not, that's it. I couldn't. I couldn't because I was, like I said, not only did I sleep with my mom, I was like, almost hugging her and she's trying to sleep and you can tell she's like what's wrong with you you know like <laughs> yes so yeah i, know I had to goes. confess and um but yeah that was the only detour that i think that i took from the paranormal and then i got over it and i realized you know but, but yeah so here you are you become an adult and uh, did mm -hmm. you keep on having experiences or what happened yes i did um i think I've just always been open to it. And the one thing that I really, this is one of my little soapbox issues, and it's why okay. I created, I'll just show you, you know how I made that, the Ghost Hunters Journal. Yes. So this is a recent recent thing I made. But, um, and even while we're talking today, you know, I, I have a little 
notebook on me. I constantly, I've kept a, a journal for years, for decades, you know. Okay. But the thing about it is, okay, here's what I think. And I, 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 I notice this a lot now because there is since, I don't know, the late 90s or something, all those ghost shows came out where yes. people go on ghost hunts. And I mean, I think that's great. And I'm glad that people are taking, I like it when they take kind of a scientific approach to things mm-hmm. um, and try to, I mean, I, you know, it's kind of hard to, I mean, one of the things about you can't really replicate. I mean, ghosts are circus animals. But just to take an approach where you are writing down what you experience, you don't just go, my, okay, here's my thing. It's great to go on a ghost hunt. It's great to go on a paranormal um, yeah, activity and stuff. But right. you need to take time afterwards uh, to reflect, digest your experience, write it down right away while it's fresh. And then, uh, and that's part of the, that you're going to get way more out of it if you uh-huh. do that, if you write it down. And the reason is like, Things that I was on a, a ghost hunt a couple of months ago, and if I hadn't gone through and just listened to all the audio I had, I just had a tape recorder running, and I listened to 10 minutes of it every day, because it gets pretty tedious to sit yes, in the four yes. hours of, but I would just listen to 10 minutes, and you know, it kind of made it like, you know, you brush and floss your teeth, you listen to 10 minutes of audio, mm-hmm. and just to see, and what was interesting because of that, that's how I ended up discovering this doppelganger thing that had happened um wow i didn't i would not have noticed one of the i overheard uh at the start of the night because before while we were still setting up equipment uh i was with a actual you know teams that do it and they were setting up their equipment and i was staying out of the way okay <laughs> and uh and uh my first audio i caught i had audio going they had audio going and um one of them Mine, you don't hear anything. You hear me talking. I say, like, I just wonder if anybody's up here with me. But then you hear my voice singing afterwards on the tape recorder next to me. So there's two different tape recordings of the same exact moment. All right. So fast forward to later that night, you can hear another person on the thing going, hey, Tui, where are you? I'm like, I'm right here. Because I was just to the right of me. He goes, wow, I just saw you. you. I could swear you were just over here. It looks exactly like you. I was wearing a hat and everything, yada, yada. We'll see. If I hadn't. Um, gone through all my audio and listened to it and then written down the things that uh-huh. happened, I would have missed that. So you my getting back to what my soapbox is, I see a lot of people, I have friends, they'll just go every weekend, they're going to another haunted hotel or a haunted, haunted this or that. Sometimes they come back and they say, oh, nothing happened. It wasn't. It yeah. just, well, did you listen back to your audio? Because mm-hmm. just because you did not observe it, doesn't mean nothing happened. You just didn't notice it. It's yes. like you go out walking in the jungle and you think there aren't any animals there. Do you know how many animals saw you walk through the jungle? You were like, yes. well, their radar, just because mm-hmm. you're like, we're fairly unobservant humans. So we have to hone our own observational skills. We have to take the time to digest these experiences. We do. And you will, you will see, but it's not like if you watch just on TV, of course they cut out all the boring parts. Yes, you don't realize it, you know, how sometimes gotta... nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> or apparently and nothing happens. Yeah, apparently nothing happens. And and then if you don't take the time, which might, might seem tedious to you, to, but you can you can make it so it's not. Like I said, I just listen to I don't bore myself to death on this. It takes me a while to go through everything, but I go through like 10 or 15 minutes while I'm, so I can actually pay some attention mm-hmm. to it. That's when you find stuff. It's like panning for gold. You don't just go up and yes. look at a river and go, there's no gold in there. Yes. You have to have spent the time. So I think what I'm really trying to encourage people is to write down their experiences. And this, I'm like, did things still happen to me? Yeah. But the thing about it is I started to notice that um, I would remember the things that happened to me. But and has this ever happened to you? I was working in a dental office. And 
I mean, not that have you have you worked in the dental office? Yes, have you? Oh wow. Okay, no, I was working in a dental office, and it was in one of those ones where it was an old house that they had the dental office in. And I had weird things happen to me in the basement a few times there. I don't know what it is about basements and being more oh, yeah. on it, but that's, that's a whole, whole that's thing a there. whole different thing. We could go off on that, but I know what you. Yeah, mean. we could. Yeah. That's a funny trail. I know I get all excited to go off on it. Okay, but my point here is that my coworker and I were upstairs, and I had to do a bunch of stuff on the computer. She was one room over. She had to do some filing or something, and we were not in each other's, you know, earshot of each other. And mm-hmm. I'm really concentrating on what I'm doing. We'd closed for the night. It was all locked up, and we had about two hours of work to do. So I just, I want to get this done. I want to get home. All of a sudden, I hear someone just go, Tui, like right in my ear, like Mm -hmm. my name, you know. Okay. And it sounded like a man, but I'm like, is that my coworker who was a girl? I'm like, is that? So I go over to, you know, like Christine or whatever. I I go into her room and her eyes are huge. Right when I walk in, she goes, did you just call me? And I'm like, no. And we compared notes. She goes, it sounded, but you sounded like a man. It was right in my ear. I'm like, okay, this is freaky, but Uh let's just keep going. We want to get out of here. Well, it happened to us like three or four times more that evening. And we were just totally jumpy by the time we left um, the office. So that's all we could talk about. I rode home with her. That's all we could talk about the whole car ride home. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we talked about it like once more. And then maybe three months later, I brought it up. I think we were at lunch. They go, oh, kind of like that weird whisper, weird man, breathy's voice we were hearing that one night. She's like, what breathy man's voice? She just didn't have any memory of it. And I think it's because she didn't, you know, I went home and I wrote about it in my journal. So actually, she didn't remember it so much so that it actually made me question my own sanity. So I thought, so I ran home and I kind of paused through my journal. Sure enough, I'd written it up and uh-huh. a lot of detail. I'm like, okay, not you know crazy some ways, but that's not my insanity moment. And uh, right. it made me think, you know, if people aren't, I think if people, I call it the weird box. Like if you don't have a place in your brain to store unusual memories or yes. unusual things, we get, you just forget them. It just gets turned over by the daily stuff. The, the normal? Yes. So yeah, I'll just go ahead and remember all the normal stuff. I don't know where to put this memory. Chuck, those yeah. are the memories I try to keep. And I think people like you and me and people who are interested in this, yes. you know, we need to cultivate that. Even I will forget things if I haven't written them down. So I, that's why I decided to make a separate journal just for my uh, kind of woo-woo things and just to see. Because if we all do this, you know how like MUFON, the people who, who yes. research UFOs, they're, mm-hmm. they have databases. And they have, if something happens, if I saw a UFO right now, yes. after we, I would call MUFON. But right. if I had something happen right now, who do I report that to? How does it get put into a database? Exactly. If we start making some sort of paranormal database, maybe we could go, you know, we could discover that. Did you know right. that every March, paranormal activity spikes? Yes. And we, why is right. that? We what, what was going on? data. Yeah, so that's that's a big thing I'm passionate about. Well, no, about. And, you're, think- and you're absolutely right. You know, MUFON, you know, because, of course, their visibility, yeah, they, they, and they have ways for people just to, and they do, they do have... Uh, a yeah, bunch maps. of cases and they can look at it and say okay we got a cluster or in this area we got a co- bunch of calls of people calling in as a matter of fact a couple of weeks they had a sighting over there off the coast of oregon it wasn't well Ooh. it was a ufo in the sense of that it was a plane that they were saying didn't have a transponder none of the Ooh. stuff that usually airplanes have yeah uh that usually you know either you know where it, who or what it is and where it's going. It didn't have any of the above. Ah. They uh, scrambled some F-15s off hmm. to go, like, where is it? And then That's they what I was saying, the military was all over oh, that. Oh, and they, I can't remember, oh. most of, some of the radar stuff couldn't pick it up. 
Somebody had called it in because they had a visual. Somebody on another plane, like a regular plane. When the F-15s go out there, they can't find it anywhere. Uh-huh. And a bunch of stuff happened around that time, around Oregon, like yeah. two weeks ago. And, I'm, and oh, I know what you're really saying awesome. as far as that. People up. could say, well. I'm writing down Oregon right now, so I remember Oregon. Yeah. So I can... <laughs> and it was like, it was like that's, that's really weird. Like, what, that is weird. What's going on? Um, and mm-hmm. I mean, even some people that normally don't look at it from the UFO angle, mm-hmm. we're looking at it. Okay, is there some type of threat? Is this some uh, a plane from somewhere else that's able to invade yeah. our airspace, and mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. our F-15s can't find it, and all this? And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that was really unusual. And a lot of people usually don't pay attention to those things. We're paying attention to it, but then at the same time, I looked at, and there was a bunch of other um, UFO sightings. Where what, I, mm-hmm. I want to say. It was around Oregon. Uh, it was like a cluster of like two weeks. Oh, okay. Where <clears throat> it just seemed there was a big spike in sightings of either lights oh, right. or things like that. And mm-hmm. I, so I know it, but in the in yeah. the sense of what you're saying, as far as a personal diary, I mean, I know mm-hmm. there's things that I probably don't remember now. Uh, mm-hmm. But I know, especially when you go on these, whether it's a tour or cemetery or anything that I have found stuff after I've either looked at the tape or listened to yeah. something. I've been like, um, one time I was doing one where it was an investigation and I'm listening to where the audio and I heard a growl and I was like, what was Ooh. that? You know, and that's so that's creepy. I know that was like this, this is not anybody talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, I, you know, I ran it back like a million. But if you don't, but it's really short. Mm-hmm. If you're not paying attention, you just miss it. That's that was, another reason. I only do it for about 10 minutes or 10 to 15 yes, minutes. Yes, because I have the stamina to pay attention and not glaze over and maybe I'll miss, you know. Yes, you, you kind of like, <laughs> uh, you, you lose the, and that thing about that you were saying about getting called. I remember one time I was going out to California. I was, uh. My son was stationed out there in the Navy, and I was driving a Jeep that I had that he had bought, but he bought it in Florida anyway. I was driving out to California, so a friend of mine staying with me, we end up up in North Florida, staying in this old house that had been turned into a bed and breakfast. Oh. But at one time, it had be, been like the town uh, funeral home. Because, you know, oh, back okay. then, people, people lived <laughs> sure. and basically had a funeral home all wrapped up in one. Yeah, and, uh, but that was happened years before. They'd make coffins and then they'd be the morgue at the same time. I mean, yeah, it was off. like one of those, you know. So mm-hmm. anyway, it was, we were the only ones staying there and they had left us the key and the owner said, look, tomorrow in the morning, we're going to have a girl go in and cook breakfast for you. She'll be there around nine. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. It's two story, like an old Victorian. So mm-hmm. I remember I was asleep. It was already morning. And you know when you're awake, but you're just lying in bed like, okay. Uh, and I'm, oh, you yeah. know, when you're doing like this laundry <laughs> list of things that I, I got to do when I get. And all of a sudden, I hear a man's voice call me. Not scream or shout, but just call me and say, Marlene. Then I stand up in bed and I looked at the doorway of the room like I just heard somebody call me. Yeah. My friend wasn't there. And I knew she was a smoker. And so you think, ah, yeah, she's still having a she, I, I was even, and first of all, her voice doesn't sound like a man's, but it was. Mm-hmm. That know, was, when, I know, when, but you try to make sense of it. You think, well, maybe you know what? When you're in a totally quiet house that there's no noise mm-hmm. and you hear that, it's not like, oh, there was somebody downstairs or the TV, there was nothing. Yeah. And I remember she comes back in like a couple of minutes and I said, we're worried. She goes, oh, I was outside smoking. She was, you know, real careful about smoking <laughs> outside. 
Yeah. And I said, look what happened. And I, after that, I mean, I took a couple of pictures, but, you know, since we were passing through, and he was like, this was not a dream. I wasn't sleeping. Yeah. Okay. I distinctly heard a man's voice call my name to the point that I sat up in bed thinking, who's in the house? And there's nobody there because it came from like, the, you know, when you can even know, kind of know what direction it came from, from the doorway yeah. of the room. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, holy crap. And it called you, it what called my name name? of all things. It it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, it, it, things like that. Uh, sometimes you get lucky and things happen like that, but then other times it's much more subtle where like what mm-hmm. you're saying that if you don't take notes um, or something, you you miss it. You... you know, your story reminded me of one thing that kind of triggered me to start writing about haunted places was, okay. in, was in this book I was writing about. Yes, uh, I saw that. Unexpected Texas. And it's about quirky, offbeat, and overlooked places. But I discovered that Texans can really tell a good ghost story. So as I would, <laughs> I would be, I, this was just supposed to be a road trip guy. But I would like, you know, we'd, my husband, a guy, we'd go to small towns that are historic. And like, we'd, you know, go by the, um, one of my favorite things is I'd look for the oldest person I could find, like find a mom and pop diner and talk to some coffee yes. who's sitting there drinking coffee or like the hardware store, the guy who's mm-hmm. just leaning against the counter, not really buying stuff. And then they'd all, I'd be like, so what don't people know about your town? They're like, oh, well, they tell me some tip or another. And then they, then they inevitably would go like, did you hear about the haunted bridge? Uh, you know, or see, something they like know that. all the and dirt like, about everything. I know. And they, <laughs> yes. And so that's how I found out about this town, Jefferson, Texas, that um, is a really cool town. I love it. And um, Steven Spielberg is on record with uh, having a, a – a, a paranormal experience at a hotel there. The okay. hotel isn't particularly fond of it for some reason. I don't know why. They should be. It's a really great hotel. So I won't name the hotel, but you can find it out pretty easily online. And I do mention it in my book because he did say it. He said that hotel and the hotel, the Stanley up in Colorado, you know, the, okay. the shiny. Right. He said those were the two haunted hotels he's ever stayed in. But this is the first one, I think, because this was back in the 70s. He was like scouting locations for a movie. Okay. And it's a really historic town. I can see why they would scout this town. And he got home, you know, or got to his hotel room kind of late at night. The whole crew is settling in. He kind of tosses his briefcase on a, a chair and something, it, it bounces right back into his hand as if it were thrown, you know. But he thinks, I'm tired. Maybe it just bounced. So he, he just puts it on the floor and just gets in the bed and goes, whatever, I've had a long day. He doesn't think much of it. He's just pulling up the covers and drifting off to sleep. When he hears, um, he opens his eyes and there's a, a little boy standing by his bed, who says, like, sir, are you ready for breakfast, sir? And that was it. He screamed, turned on the lights, gathered up his whole film crew, and they left the hotel at, like, 1 in the morning and went one town over and stayed at, I don't know, Budget Inn or whatever. But the next movie that he made after that was Poltergeist. So he got there a There you go. That's he where was, he got his inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like, you know, you at a hotel. I guess because you were mentioning you were going to have breakfast in the morning. I thought, oh, so much of Steven Spielberg. You know what? It was with my same friend. I killed her. We, 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 since we were going out there, we were doing pit stops along. We, we, we stayed over at the Myrtles. Okay. Oh, and you know, wow, the Myrtles I'm has. Same thing. We're the only ones staying at the Myrtles. Okay. Oh. So they tell us, uh, you know, same thing because, you know, when you're, you know, when you're going to arrive a little bit late, they, they, yeah. you, you know, you call them and you tell them, look, I'm on the road and they, they'll leave you a key mm-hmm. and whatever. Yeah. So, and we're staying upstairs in what they call the judges room, which is up the stairs. And they're right. We, okay, we get Mm -hmm. there. And there's, you know, there's a courtyard out in the back. 
And yeah. um, again, my friend's smoking. <laughs> and I'm sitting out there with her. <laughs> and it's right, it's just as it's getting dark. And I'm sitting, they have, you know, those little iron rot, you know, chairs and stuff out there. And, yeah. And I'm sitting out there oh, and nice. I'm like. I love sitting out on a porch in those old southern. And it was like, you know, especially when you spent the, the whole night. day driving. Oh, yeah. You're like, okay, I'm ready to like sit down and. And just like, and then all of a sudden, I'm Fan myself. yourself. Yeah, like, oh, okay, she's having her smoke, and I'm like sitting there, mm-hmm. and I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I have the distinct feeling somebody's staring at me. Ooh. And uh, mm-hmm. that, the way the back, the back of the house is, you know, it has like that long portico that runs along oh, on the inside, okay. the, mm-hmm. and it goes this way. When you go that way, it kind of recedes into shadows, even darker. Oh, oh I remember right. turning around, and I'm like. I feel like somebody's looking at me, but okay. Mm -hmm. So we went in upstairs and we take in all our things and you know, it's nice room. And well, let me tell you something. My friend wigged out so much. (laughs) I was ready to (laughs) throttle her. (laughs) I don't know if it was because we were there alone. Uh, You know, and again, when you're alone, everything, you hear every noise, every little... Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's, um, what is it? Was it a Days Inn or Best West? Something that's about two or three miles down the road from there. We had to leave and stay over there. I was ready to kill her. And I was like, she just got so wigged out. She was like, and I was like, look, if there's something here, which there probably is... Oh. What's it gonna do to us? I mean, what? The, we could get the mm, scared out of us. Okay, so exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I we know. came back the next day. They were really pleasant. And we told them the story. That's disappointing. It, I know. It is. I mean, because yeah. And I never had a chance. I wanted to go back and actually spend the night there because it was like to me it was yeah. great. It was like oh god, nobody's here. And I think no that kind of played with her head a little bit. Like they're gonna find because us all. Know, the next the nice thing about nobody there is that if you hear a voice or something you can't say yes. it was just a guest in room across the way i mean it's really a great opportunity oh and you know what they well, had that picture sometime. of the know. of the guy <laughs> that the painting of the man that uh wherever you walk his just uh, tracks you so i know i see her looking at the picture and i'm like you know what <laughs> she's getting too weak down with this Oh. But it was it was uh, it was a good experience. We still had fun, no matter what. We still had fun. We went back the next day and everything. But it, the point I'm trying to make is that a lot of these houses they're great, but you also have to put like um, how can I say you can't let your imagination run away with you because then mm-hmm. you're so scared that you don't enjoy it. You uh, yeah, you miss the the part where you actually hear or like. And like I tell everybody, supernatural is not an on-demand thing. And a lot of times it's very subtle exactly. what it presents. Mm-hmm. And you made mm-hmm. a good point when you have a way to go back and go, hey, you know what? And then you start mm-hmm. thinking, wait a minute, was that the what it was? And then you are you have a way of checking mm-hmm. back and see, yeah. This yeah, is I like what... to compare it sometimes to bird watching. Mm-hmm. Because I have been, when I uh, first was researching my book, Paranormal Texas, on the show, again, <laughs> I'm having fun with it. <laughs> Paranormal Texas, oh! This is my travel guide to haunted places that you can actually Everybody, visit. Everybody, I'm the first one you saw. I, you, you heard what I just said. That's how I, I, I plan my routes. Is like if I can mm-hmm. stop in on some place. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but if I can w- go in and stay at some place that's got some type of reputation, I'm there. I am there. Yeah. So I didn't include places you can't visit because I hate reading about. Oh, this place sounds great. Mm-hmm. A haunted hot dog stand. I'm going to go there and then I read. 
oh, you know, they burned it to the ground. No one can visit. You know, it's like, right, oh, exactly. tell me about it. I actually did read about a haunted hot dog stand. And that, really? <laughs> I was so bummed. I'm not particularly into hot dogs, but I would have made mm-hmm. an exception to go to that one. But no, I mean, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I went with a bunch of different paranormal teams. Okay. And some of them were so noisy and rambunctious. I mean, the level of professionalism really that's what i learned that really varies so oh, there are a yes. couple teams that i oh, love yes that are very professional and they have a yes. way of doing it where they have like a center of command and they mm-hmm. know where everybody is at all times and you go yes. in teams throughout and you never are like you know mm-hmm. i don't know where everybody is so if i hear a big thump maybe it was them you, you know they keep right. track of everything so, but I've been on some that were so rambunctious. People were running around. They're drinking Jack Daniels. You and know, it's like, and right. And that's the part. Tabacky. I'm like, why are you even here? I've been to slumber parties that were more, you know. Right. Like, forget it. You know, it. what's the use? What are you going to do on EVP? What are you going to do anything for? Mm-hmm. If all you're going to do is capture everybody around you. Running. It's just a party. Run them up yes. in the dark where you're bumping into each other. And sometimes in Texas, they turn off the air conditioning. You know, so now running around sweating, people are, yeah, where is this? It's ridiculous. Because they're like, well, we don't want the AC sounds. Oh, yeah, but get everybody else bumping around. So, yes. I mean, yes. I mean, I really believe that people have to. I've, I've been in that scenario <laughs> before because, like, I've, I've been a freelance investigator, like, since the 90s. And I used mm. to work with a, well, I still do, uh, with a research foundation in Florida. And if something was down in South Florida, they would contact me. Or if they were short on a on a member, you know, on a, somebody, yeah. a body, in other words, they would call me to do it. So, And other times, I would work with other groups. And uh, I know exactly what you mean. There were some that were really professional. Mm-hmm. And then there were others that it was like, you don't get out much, do you? <laughs> And then they complain. And then those groups, the thing I noticed too, the groups that are not organized and running around making all sorts of noise, then later on they complain, oh, that place isn't haunted. I'm like, really? So that's why I compare it to bird watching. I'm like, it's like we all went to a nature preserve together and you were Mm -hmm. running around, you know, with an air horn and you're like, there aren't any birds here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Unless they're deaf, but yeah. Birds or people or ghosts or whatever. I mean, they're not circus animals. It's just, no. And you know what? I've I've talked to uh, a lot of paranormal groups that that that's one of the things that we come up with and and i've said it on some of my shows if you're a potential person that's looking for a group to join you know what first thing look for somebody's been around for a while okay because in my experience a lot of them they dissolve within the first couple of years because because exactly of what you're talking about uh uh, look for somebody and that they and look at how professional they are do they have rules you know uh do they expect you to behave a certain way i go if you're really serious about it this is the kind of group you should look for to join uh, yeah, good point. Or vice versa, or if you've got, or if you're thinking of calling in a paranormal group, you know, look at how long they've been together and look, you know, do they show have any standards when you speak to the person over the phone? How do they come across? Mm-hmm. Uh, just don't let yeah. anybody into your house for the sake of clearing up because you think you might have a paranormal or whatever going on. But I, I know, I know so well what you mean. <laughs> yeah, it was an eye opener. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh but it is what it is. And like I yeah. said, usually those groups like maybe one, two years the most after a while they kinda like dissolve because in truth, if you really do some investigation, sometimes they're really boring because mm-hmm. nothing really like pops out and you yeah. know, is in your face and so you're mm-hmm. just there going a lot of times like, uh, is that running okay, the camera's running okay, good. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah and a lot of people, bed, after you know? a couple of times, they're like, oh, like you just said, there's no ghosts here. And then they kind of like, then they don't show up for investigations and things like that. So mm-hmm. I, I love that, like, you, 
that, that you put that book that because like I said I do that myself if I can do a, a stopover in a haunted place I love that um, and then did you have a, other experiences yourself later on whether some place that you visited or you were living at oh gosh I've had lots and um, in fact I've, I've got if you want to read about them people can go to my website tuisnyder.com okay. and I've got okay. some on there I've also got some in, in different anthologies okay. that are uh, put out by Teal Gray. Uh, mm -hmm. There's one that just came out called Scared Senseless. Oh. And I talk about an experience I had with a, a painting that's kind of hard to explain. There's a lot that goes behind it. By the time we get to the point where the painting was being weird, there's a lot of backstory that explains it. Okay. And, uh, and I, yes, I had a coffee house for a couple of years, and I had some odd things happen there. And the nice thing about it was my customers would verify for me. So um, I, that... like in that book I was just talking about, I had something, um, there were one before, Spirited Tales as well. Mm -hmm. this one, I, I have two stories that kind of dovetail. So I had my coffee house, and there was one week where I had, it was like a, a neat coffee house. I had a little, you know, bookshelf over here, and people right. would do this or that. I had a couch and all this. Anyway, this one corner was dark um, all of a sudden. And I thought, well, do I need to change the light bulb? Light bulb was fine, but I just bought another light bulb, same, you know, brighter wattage, I okay. think. I was trying to brighten it up. It was still dark over there. Well, there was a whole bunch of other stuff going on, which in retrospect, no wonder it was dark over there, but I, uh -huh. you have to read the story to get to it. But um, people would notice it. People, I had people who, um, you know, totally didn't believe in customers would come up and they go, God, what's the deal with the corner over there? It's dark. I think you need to change light bulbs. Yeah, I just did. Oh, and all week long. So I, it's not just me thinking it's dark over there. Then I had some more like woo-woo people saying things to me. Um, people, you know, the lady from the metaphysical store coming down and going, honey, you know, you got some lower vibrational. I don't want to scare you, but I think there's something lower vibrational in that corner you need to take care of. Oh, well, <laughs> thanks for the latte. She walks out. I'm like, what does that mean? Because I'm in my 20s and I don't know, you know, it's not a lot out there. The books I read didn't really explain how to cleanse. So finally, a Native American lady comes in. And she leaves me a smudge stick, a sage smudge okay. stick. And she's like, yeah. here, you really need this. We can talk later. You know, because everyone grabs their coffee and they're going. But they're all over and over all week long and telling me something's going on in okay. the corner. I kind of know something's going on in the corner. But I also have a business to run and a, a kid yeah. to raise and things are nutty. So I'm like, you know, trying to ignore it. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> they, they, you know, life gets in the way. You know, that kind of It does. And I'm like, that's the last thing I got to pay my taxes. I got this or that. I got a health inspector coming start corner who cares creepy feeling whatever i'm just not wanting to pay attention to it it escalates to the point where uh <laughs> and, and, and over and over people from all walks and you know what that's incredible that, that just about like you said everybody even whether they were metaphysically inclined or not are noticing something about that corner yes very okay. you know people who would never would roll their eyes at anything paranormal or say, mm -hmm. you know, what's going on over there? Did you, what did you change over there? They're just mentioning, no, and I noticed too, no one's sitting over there all of a sudden, unless they're absolutely forced to. And then they, and then the people are more sensitive or open to their sensitivity. I think everybody's sensitive, but the people who really are telling me it doesn't feel good over there. Um, so it finally gets to the point where I'm there on my day off and I'm doing my, my tax report thing. And I'm, I'm having, that was also my time my own cup of coffee in peace and like then read a book for you know and write my mm -hmm. journal for a little bit and then go home so I, i'm sitting there but i'm not sitting in that corner either and yeah. as i'm just then i thought well i'll write my journal i'm writing my journal and i got that feeling like someone's looking at me mm -hmm. and it was from that and it was like not a happy feeling looking at me it was not curiosity it was like i felt anger over there 
And I'm like, that is yucky. And I was getting more and more jumpy. And I finally, um, I'll kind of speed it up. I go into more detail. In, oh, don't in worry the about book, that. But, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I get worried. I had this friend who uh, was, you know, at this point, I, I was sort of, you know, I tried to approach things very skeptically. So um, I was not as open-minded, I guess, as I could have been. I just was like, I don't know. I, like I said, I didn't feel like I had the time to deal with it. I didn't know what to make of it. But I just felt something over there. I remembered that smudge stick, and I thought, "Oh yeah, I've got yeah, that in my corner." I don't, I don't know what time. I don't know what you do with it. I don't even know how to use it or anything. But I had a friend who I figured would, and, and so I called her up, and she's like, "Oh, I'm so glad you called. I was thinking of you. I had a feeling." Or no, she called me. Yeah, the phone rings, and it was her, and I was so wow. glad. She goes, "How is everything?" Uh, it's not good. I'm kind of, I guess I can tell you this. I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm about that. She goes, "Yeah, I had a feeling." So she and her boyfriend come over and she they were an interesting pair he was like a mechanic by day and he looks totally normal like nothing woo -woo, you know no not like some dude with uh -huh. a ponytail or like a pierced ear i mean uh -huh. he's very straight before just t-shirt and she's just kind of comes from this um she's more woo woo with like the you know the braided hair uh -huh. and Celt celtic she's the wiccan pagan goddess -y lady yeah he's like he's like, he's like oh, i'm the mechanic <laughs> but they bet each other and I, they just fell in love, and it was the weirdest thing. So then I, I, I discovered from her that he has this incredible Reiki ability. Wow. Where you know how people do Reiki, and and yes. um, when he did Reiki on someone, I swear, if someone does not believe in Reiki, they needed to have him come and put their hands over their head. It felt like you were getting, you could feel it. Everyone could feel it. It felt like mega tingling. He was just very low key about it. He was very. He'd been raised in a very strict Christian family, mm -hmm. but I've never felt anybody who had that much energy coming off their hands at will. Right. Isn't that incredible? Really? So anyway, um, they both came and they were like, oh yeah, we've noticed that corner for a while. We just didn't want to bother you. We knew you were going to be a lot this week, but I guess it's escalated. So they come over and they teach me how to use a smudge stick and they smudge the corner and we go around and they're doing, saying things differently. And I'm, I was telling them, yeah, but this is this Native American, and here I'm this, you know, little white girl, you know, what am I, am I, am I culturally appropriating? They're like, all right, who gave this to you? I'm like, a Native American lady. It's like, okay, yeah. she and, wants you to use okay. it. <laughs> They're like, this is a tool, it's called a tool, like, you know, she said, you play the clarinet, right? Do you, you know, or things that you do. I mean, you're not culturally appropriating wherever that came no, from, are you? No, the contrary, <laughs> they, they kind of no. caught on that this works. <laughs> Yeah, they said, this is a tool. And so they got it all cleared, and I followed them around. And, um, oh, another thing that they happened before they got there, this dish of forks just fell into the middle of my kitchen. I didn't see it happen, Ooh. but that is what had me jumping out of my skin. And so that's what gets me. That is like the most simple thing in the world. Oh, some forks fell into the floor. You know what? When something simple and weird like that happens, it can make you so jumpy. So that's when, and then the phone rang, and I was just like, oh, the forks fell, the phone rang. I'm all like, oh, come and help me. So everything calmed down, and suddenly I noticed it was brighter in, in the coffee house. It finally brightened up. And I'm like, great, thanks, guys. And they're like, yeah. oh, you're not off the hook, girl. you got to do this yourself every week because you get all sorts of energy. I'm like, what? No. Mm -hmm. Hey, you guys coming to do this? No. You know, grow up. You've got to clean the yeah. space. I'm like, really? And so that was, um, I mean, I'd like to say that. And oh, ever since then, I was so good. And I always clean every spot so thoroughly. You know, once a week I smudge. No, this is one of those lessons I've had to learn over and over. Yes. Um, occasionally I will really slack off again. And I won't, um, you know, clean a, clean a space. And like when my, 
my mother-in-law died, I helped clean out her house. In fact, because the guys, her sons were just all paralyzed with grief. So I handled all mm-hmm. sorts of her stuff. That okay. I did all up. Now, some of her stuff included ancient Egyptian artifacts. Really? They had traveled the world. Oh, wow. A, a mummy's head, a 2,000-year-old mummy's head, which I didn't <sighs> even want to touch. You know? Oh, yeah. Wow. Not to, but, so there's all sorts of stuff. So I handle all that. Well, we come home from New York after dealing with that. And I suddenly am sick. I kind of have this weird, vague, I'm waking up with cold sweats, and I have a mild fever, and I feel just, my neck yeah. kind of hurts, and I feel I feel like I'm kind of, my posture's weird. Like, I'll just catch myself in this weird posture a lot. I mean, not, I wasn't quite like that. I'm overdoing it. I wasn't walking around. Right, no, I know. But you, you're, at some point, you kind of like, what's up? Well, I was really dense. <laughs> but, but, my, but my friend came to visit. And the minute she walked in the door, she's like, oh, hey, what's been going on? And I tell her, she's like, hmm, yeah, did you bring anything home from your mother-in-law's place? Oh, yeah, she gave me these tiki mugs, because I love tiki stuff, and this Irish tablecloth. You know, I mean, she'd left them for me. Right. And she goes, mm-hmm, yeah, that's not all you brought, honey. I'm like, what? She goes, I'm like, what? She goes, how are you, how are you feeling lately? I'm like, because she just picked up on it. My friend's very sensitive. She's picked up on it instantly. Uh-huh. We cleansed, got rid of it. And suddenly I was like, oh, I feel like you just gave me a chiropractic adjustment. My temperature. I had a doctor's appointment scheduled because oh, I was having those. I didn't have a to schedule it. So I was like, oh, you know, but I'd slapped off on the old. You know, and then you think. Spiritual who, hygiene. Who, would, who was the culprit? But like you said, you handled all the stuff she, from all over the she world. Told me, yeah, and she, I wanted to. I said, I want to know more about it. And she said, no, no, you don't. You don't. Don't engage. Don't mm. give it any energy. See, mm. my curiosity is like, oh, I want to know exactly if I've got a boogie. I want to know its name. Right, it's exactly. No, you don't because then you give it more of your energy. Then you give it more entrance into your life. Then you give it like yes. permission to bug you. And I'm like, oh, well, that kind of sucks. It's kind of like the whole, you know, in Harry Potter, Voldemort, you don't say his name. <laughs> I know. You know what? And then, and and (laughs) that's what um, a lot of people don't really, I mean, because I'm the first one. I'm I'm like you. I'm curious sometimes. Like, I want to know what is it? Where did it come from? Why is it here? Why, 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 why? Or how, 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 how? Or who, 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 who? And um, I understand, though, that sometimes just letting it, like ignoring it and it kind of like dissipates on its own, goes elsewhere, whatever, yeah. wherever, whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. A lot less headache for you because it's almost like, it's almost like once, um, I don't know, uh, I don't know if you ever uh, read that that uh, series from Dean Koontz called um, Odd Thomas. And no, I didn't. It, the main guy, he's written like five or six. He's, mm-hmm. he's psychic. He can see. He can see dead people. He sees Elvis. He sees Sinatra. But one of the things he can see is wherever there's going to be some type of major catastrophe with a lot of deaths, he sees these black, they're not shadow people, but they're blackish, like they're creatures. And Mm -hmm. one of the things he always says was, I never let them know that I can see them. Yeah. Because once they're aware that I could see them, then it's like the jig is up. It calls you know, attention words, to yourself, I guess. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. In other words, it, it's the same thing where sometimes you're just better off not engaging with it because yeah. then what happens is they become aware of you because like, oh, she's aware of me. She sees me or mm-hmm. she's trying to fuel the fire. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. 
your friend's uh, instructions, yeah. like, let it go, let it go. You can live without knowing about it. Yeah, I just, I'm like, okay, I've got enough things that I can research. I love researching things. I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I will research other things. <laughs> I hope yes, as well, exactly. you know, concentrate on what you want to grow. <laughs> so maybe I'll look up someone. You know, you know sometimes like, it's like curiosity. What was that? Curiosity <laughs> killed the cat. But satisfaction brought it back. I know. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you. We, we are liking that. So how did yeah. you, when that book that you wrote about the cemetery symbols, which I think is, mm -hmm. like I said, because of, of all the cemeteries, how did you decide oh, to yeah. write that book? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, well, a few things uh, um, got me to write that. So here's the one, Understanding mm -hmm. Cemetery Symbols. Yes. It's a pretty basic title because I want people who are, you know, these days you search for, gee, I want to understand cemetery symbols. I want you to find my book because, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so like I mentioned, I do love research and researching and, and I do love cemeteries. I mean, I've okay. loved them since I was a kid. I actually, when I was nine years old, um, this creepy dude tried to, janitor, tried to kidnap my friend and I. He locked us in a room, this and that, and we, uh, yeah. Are you serious? I am. This oh my God. Yes, and we got away uh, because, you know, well, anyway, long story short, he, it was supposed to be a Girl Scout meeting that day. We didn't know it was canceled. So we showed up at the church and no one was there. And this dude, he's all nice and he leads us into this back room. And we suddenly realized we can't get out, that he <laughs> is keeping us in. So we um, climb up. It was a bit of a jump for a nine-year-old still, but we made it out. And we were walking home. We were like, well, that was weird. Why did he lock us in that room? You know, why did he want to kill us? He pulls up in his car, and we managed to escape by uh, running across the street into the graveyard. And we knew this graveyard so well because we played there a lot. So we knew exactly how to zigzag through right. it. And if we had zigzagged through it, and then we got to a path in the woods, and we got home, you know, that led us out. And right. he wasn't able. But we could hear he was chasing it. Come back, girls, come back. Oh, he and went he in there bumping. after you guys? Yeah. Oh, my God. He went God. in the car. Oh, I would have. And then he got out of the car and started chasing us. And we were running. And luckily, we knew it so well. We weren't tripping or falling because we had played tag. We right. played chase. We had all sorts of games. We played vampire. We had all these different mm -hmm. games in there. Uh, that was one of our favorite places to play because it just fired our imagination. And it was pretty. It was a historic grave. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, thank goodness. Because if it had been what, a modern one that you could go over, he could have caught us. I don't know what would have happened. And our parents didn't believe us. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I have a, I know I want to visit that cemetery again. That's up in Virginia. Let me ask you, I, wait. You're hmm? Did you did you tell your parents they didn't believe you guys or what happened? They didn't believe us. Mm -mm. She and I, this one girl, I mean, we we would get in trouble sometimes because she was a little bit more oh of a troublemaker than me. But, me ask you but yeah, they didn't they didn't believe us. Mm -mm. So nowadays, I think they would, but you know, I think there's more awareness now. <laughs> but, you know, but that is, let me tell you something. Us. That must have been such. This is like straight out of a horror film. You got the monster as in the real one mm -hmm. chasing you. Holy crap! You know, it really even to this day. I mean. I, I never, I always wear shoes that I can run in. Like, I don't like to wear shoes that I don't think I could just take off running. I mean, now I'll wear shoes maybe a little, like, if I'm on a right, date with my right. husband, maybe not so running. But, but for years, I mean, I was like, forget it. I just was like, I want to be able to take off running if I need to. And when I sit in a restaurant I or something, I like, I like I to look to see where the escape routes are, you know? I mean, because we had to escape. We had to use our wits and the adults didn't believe us. So let me tell you something. Some I would have, things as a kid. I probably would have worn sneakers. Just about for everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, be like, 
<laughs> I, I was so glad that we, uh, you know, had our wits about us to get away. We were, to us, it was like, wow, that was, I remember saying, wow, that was like a Disney movie. We, we, we escaped from a bad guy. We, we were really impressed with ourselves. Yeah, you know what? And it's like the innocence of a kid that you kind of like, sometimes even though you ran away from the danger, you kind of also underestimate or unaware of just. I look, yeah, when I had a daughter of my own, you know, my stepdaughter, I look back and I'm like, whoa, you know, <laughs> man, yeah. I would have gone over to that church and, you know, read him the riot act. But for whatever but it makes reason, you wonder, you know, you know I, I had this guy done this before? Did he ever do there. it again? I, I take it you guys never went back over there again. No, we moved away shortly after. It was like a lot going on in my family right about then. And we ended up moving to Washington State shortly after. And you were like, okay. But I never, you know, I always made me a little nervous of janitors. I mean, you know, and like um, just being alone with an adult, I just kind of was like, you know, from and that you know point what? on, like, it I'm was... ready to flee, you know, flee. I'm going to, how can well, I, where's the escape route? I would take you know what? after that. And this is the thing, you know, yeah, you know, we teach kids to be careful with strangers, but. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody that does janitorial work, you really don't see him as a stranger per se. No. Uh, he's usually in the background because he's got an excuse to be there because he's cleaning. You know, so. He's a trusted person with lots of keys. Well, he, it's... We told us, oh, girls, they moved the, the meeting down to here, to this room. Right. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, locking us in there. And we realized this is just not good. And he's like, no, no, just stay. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I think well, he was... That Thank God you guys creepy. had your wits about you and, you know, self-preservation <laughs> kicked in. But it's like yeah. same thing, you know, and, and for kids, you're thinking, okay, if the adults have given him a job, like you said, he's got the keys. Mm -hmm. So I guess I he's, okay. Huh? he's okay. He told us he knows what's going on. Oh, okay. We, we forgot, you know, we're kids. Oh, we my God, Tui. That, what but, yeah. a story. <laughs> so God. graveyards and me, we go back. <laughs> that is... Yeah incredible and i'm it glad it turned scary. out with a happy ending for you guys i really am yes you were yes. smart girls you guys like that's it we're <laughs> out of here yeah i wonder so, you know what i wonder i'm because i see i'm doing the i wonder if this guy like left town i like, think i wonder if they're gonna go home and tell their parents let me get the heck out of dodge before i don't know you know, you know i because, know he had kind of a swedish accent i remember I, yeah this is one of those things i mean yeah yeah, he was really nice to us at first. And oh, yeah, of course. Fine. And then all of a sudden we realized, look, he's trapped us here. And we just had this moment where we looked at each other and we realized we got to get out and, like, the window. And he, luckily he was, you know, across the room enough that we could get that window pried up enough and climb out. I mean, it was just all, it could have gone such You a know what, way. that we could have really had lucky. a really bad ending. Uh, unfortunately, he's making a phone call to somebody too, which so I don't know what was up. I mean, was he gonna sell it? I mean, I look back and I'm like, God, that just could have been so bad. And I you know what? He could have been calling an accomplice. He could have been like, or Maybe. like what you said. Uh, hey, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Know. That could have been turned out to have a really horrible end. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> so anyway, such a good story after the fact, but it's such a good story. Yes, after the fact. And at the time, it was just, you know, I, the, the, I don't know, whatever. But it did have a lasting impression. And, and my friend, I, my parents, um, well, we weren't allowed to play with each other anymore. Our parents were so mad at us. Really? For that. Yes, it was a, wow. quite of a weird thing. But um, so I don't know, whatever. I'd love to find her, track her down and find out if she, you know. And then I just, we moved, we split town, a, you know, a few weeks yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. So it wasn't like. I right, no, really when you're move. a kid, you've got no choice. Your family moves out of town. What are you going to do? you got to go. And yeah, so 
And like you said, it's not like now you got social media and other ways that you can communicate mm-hmm. with a person. That's it. Once you're out of town, you lose touch with everybody, mm-hmm. especially if you're a child. And, you know, yeah, and it's just like, okay, new chapter, new beginning. I'm moving to Washington State. It's kind of different from Virginia, that's for sure. But, uh, but yeah, so that was one. I just always, to me, I think graveyards and cemeteries are just refuges. And I think a, a thing that I really want people to get from my book and to understand or one thing that I'm out to promote is that uh, we mistakenly, and, and it's because of Hollywood and mm-hmm. our idea of what a, a cemetery is and what it's become. Now, um, what it's become in modern days, it's just become a place where you take a dead person, you tuck them in the ground or you toss their ashes, and then you go. Mm-hmm. You don't go back. Um, but they used to be, like in the 1800s and even going back to Greek times, it's a it's a time honored tradition to have a picnic in the cemetery. Right, they were like to, parks, right? Um, spend, yes, they were. They were garden cemeteries of America and Europe. They were meant to be places you would go. They were actually America's first national, I mean, not national park, first public parks. They didn't okay. have public parks in cities. Um, they had what they had were. I should tell you, there's a difference between a graveyard and a cemetery. A graveyard, if you want to be technical, I use the words interchangeably. But if you wanted, you know, you were on Jeopardy or something. You had to know the difference. A graveyard is when it, uh, people are buried around a church. Okay. And that was what the, they were, that's how it kind of began. If you were, unless you were living out in the countryside, but if you lived in the city, especially, and, and in the country, you know, you, you'd be great, buried around a church. So that's a graveyard. Mm-hmm. A cemetery, it comes from a Greek word. I think it's koimetrion, which means a place to sleep, like a, a sleeping chamber. Okay. And that came along with the Victorian era because they liked the whole euphemism of sleep for death. And cemeteries are land that's just been put aside to bury people, not necessarily attached to a church. Okay. So what happened in the, by the 1800s, if you start burying people around the little churchyard, you've only got so much room until exactly. you start burying them on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's coveted spaces. Um, especially some of these traditions came across the pond with us when the European settlers came mm-hmm. to America, but there would be the North side of the church might've been for like suicides and, and you know, the, the bad people, you know, quote unquote, you know, less unholy people. There was like a pecking order, the East side of the church, because you wanted to face East on judgment day might be a um, more coveted spot. Wow. But, but I'm kind of getting it ahead of myself here or behind myself or whatever i'm getting off the topic okay, well no no but you know that, what that's interesting because that's stuff that mm-hmm. people don't realize that people cared about i guess back then mm-hmm. yeah they really did oh it's really fascinating so uh so at one point in the 1800s um it started to happen that these these graveyards were so overcrowded that let's say there was a big flood or a big storm or just the wall would weaken the church wall would weaken and collapse spilling corpses into the wow. street. Yeah. And even then, although they didn't understand germs to the degree we do, they knew this was a health hazard. Plus, it's horrifying to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, did not smell good or look good or sure. yuck. So what are we going to do? Well, uh, in America, we looked to see what they were doing in Europe because they were having the same problem in Europe. In Europe, like in Paris, there are these huge catacombs yeah. where they, all these bodies, you know, that they just t- kind of turned into skeletons and stacked neatly down below the street because they were running out of room in the city area. So some person had a very smart idea. Let's make a cemetery outside of the city uh, limits where it'll be a nice, like a sculpture park where people mm-hmm. can go and visit and, and like, so now that's why they created Père Lachaise, which is really still to this day a top tourist destination. I haven't been. I need to go to Père 
Sanchez. But um, okay. lots of people, famous people are buried there. Austin uh-huh, Wilde yeah. Jim Morrison, and, and it's just gorgeous. Every photo I've ever seen of it, you know, there's really opulent statues. So what they did in um, Massachusetts, they did the same thing. The people of Boston, they thought, ah, we're having this overcrowding in the city. Let's make a cemetery, a garden cemetery. So they okay. created Mount Auburn Garden Cemetery. I think it was 1831, right around there. And it became a very popular destination for city dwellers. Let's go out for the weekend. They would have carriage races. They would even shoot game. Kids could run around. Right. Um, artists would set up their easels. Ladies could stroll. And you had this beautiful monument, cemetery monuments. And during the Victorian era, uh, really gorgeous monuments kind of became the the thing. And it, as we, I think what I were talking about <clears throat> before before this interview started, this was really the heyday for cemetery symbols. Was during the Victorian era, so mm-hmm. you see these really glorious symbols. Um, so, yeah, so that was just uh, so when people, my thought, I so we still have these. So America has a lot of um, garden cemeteries, and then places that don't have the fancy garden cemeteries, there's beautiful rural cemeteries all throughout Texas. We have a lot of gorgeous rural ones. These ones are a little different. They usually have, even today, some of them still have a homecoming day or a decoration day, right? Where you will come and, and clean up. Yes, I know. Like, I, I've go seen to this cemetery. Isn't mm-hmm. that neat? And off in the corner, you might see a barbecue. You know, barbecue is such a big thing. I've been in cemeteries on the Texas. Yeah. I love it. I'll see a barbecue. I always go and lift the lid. And I'm like, yeah, they've been using this thing, you know? Yeah. Because they're, and, they're back then, it wasn't like, what people think of as being morbid. It was like, mm-hmm. like you said, you're going to spend a day yeah. and it's a beautiful park, and then yeah. people just happen to be and buried it, there. Well, people forget. So now we have forgotten. This is what we've forgotten. Cemeteries are for the living. Hello. Mm-hmm. Yes, you put your dead there, but they are a cemetery is for the living. It's for us. It's for us humans. But what's cool, it's also now because of some of these older places, like if they've been around since 1830 or before, um, yes. they have heritage plants and bulbs. So people are into old, old antique roses and things you won't find in a catalog now. Um, so some of these, a lot of these, um, these garden cemeteries, they have, they have uh, got arboretum status now. <laughs> Because they are like a living library. You can go through uh-huh. there and see plants and animals that you, it, it provides a great, uh, you know, I was younger, I used to think, oh, what a waste of land, you know, a cemetery. You know, when I was uh, yeah, 18, I started to think that. <laughs> and then now I don't think, yeah, at 18, you think a lot of, you know, ah, things. That's one of my thoughts I remember having at one point. Now I think, what a great use of land, cemeteries. Yeah. They yeah. keep ugly buildings, you know, you, if, if you want to, See, um, take some photos without a bunch of power lines in your way. Yes. If you want to see, uh, in Texas, people always love to go out in the springtime and take pictures in sitting around the blue bonnets. But they do it on the side of the highway, mm-hmm. and it's not very nice. You go to a historic cemetery, sit amongst the blue bonnets there, and it's just so much nicer. So that was a big impetus for me to write this book, was just to, to kind of reestablish the fact that it's a time-honored tradition to enjoy a cemetery and that they are for the living, and there's nothing wrong about going there. It's almost taboo for people. They, they just oh, bury yeah. someone. You're sad to get it, but, but you don't have to be mourning to go there. You don't have to be sad to go to a cemetery. Exactly. It can be a, and I know I'm preaching well, to the and, choir and, here, <laughs> and it's like what, you, what we were talking about. When I go into cemetery now, especially if it's still open and it's accepting like burials, you know where the older part is because the monuments change. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and then your part, You've got either flat ones or maybe some that are maybe three feet tall, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Once you look in the older is when you start seeing the big monuments, the mausoleums, the family mausoleums. You yeah. can tell right away where the older part of the cemetery is at. And generally it's from 
after, you can tell when the Great Depression was. So kind of from the 1930s and before, mm -hmm. because during the Great Depression, people had to travel far away to find work. So yeah. before that, people in America were more likely to live and their central family groups and mm -hmm. you're born in Virginia, you die in Virginia, you have your family plot, you know exactly where you're going to be. And that little family plot, which you'll see in those historic ones, yes. and you see the line around it, well, that's also to let you know exactly what part of the ground you need to tend. So you take care of that, you plant all your plants there, you do whatever you want mm -hmm. there, and then, you know, the next family over knows exactly where they can go. But when after people were moving away to find work, and there was no one to come back and tend their family plots. They had to turn to perpetual care. And right. um, and then also lawn grasses were developed. The lawnmower came along and you know, things like that. And so they thought, let's just plant them in grass and make it easy so that we can hire someone just to mow over it. And that'll be yes. perpetual care. So it's, you know, that shift. There still are some cool cemeteries, newer ones that... That, that still have nice monuments um, going up and, and allow people to more freedom because a lot of them, they just don't, people say, well, why don't people put up interesting uh, monuments right. anymore? And they just have those flat ones that maybe mm -hmm. aren't as interesting. Well, it's because the rules say, it's like a yeah. homeowners association, you know, no, you can't have that. But certain one burial areas, burial grounds will allow that. And those are the ones that I love. I think, you know, they're most interesting. And that's why, I mean, you know, I got that whole book of symbols. It's fun to figure out what to, those truly are messages from the dead. What were they trying to see? What were they trying to tell you? And the right. more I learn about them, the more when I go through a historic cemetery, the more I, I see. Like I, a cemetery that I used to think, oh, there's not a lot to see in this cemetery. Now, the more I learn about symbols, I go through and, oh, hey, this, they've got this and going you, on. They've got that one, and it brings it to life. Well, and this is the thing, because let's face it, you have only X amount of space sometimes to put whatever mm -hmm. it was that you wanted to say about this person, you know, especially mm -hmm. if they were well-loved. For whatever reason, yes. Uh, so yeah, it was sometimes it was easier, I imagine, to do with a symbol versus writing out this well, paragraph. That's, that's the beauty of a symbol. They are, yeah. you know, the old cliche: a picture is worth a thousand words. But the thing is, you mentioned people um, choosing. That's more a modern take. Like nowadays, um, you know, I die, and then my friends trying to decide what symbols to put on. But a um, hundred years ago, and so when I read about people, mm -hmm. um, our ancestors, they were planning their own epitaphs, and they took this quite seriously. So they would yeah. be doing this in their 20s and 30s. And so right. if, if I were a wealthy blacksmith and I started to make some money, I'd be thinking, you know, I think I ought to make a nice family monument. What do you think, you know, my wife or my husband, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> let's, and then they, the family would plan it together. And so I'd read that, oh, their monument was completed, you know, 12 years before anyone actually passed away. But they would, uh, and some of you, so they even had a catalog for uh, one of my favorite kind of monuments are they're called white bronze. Okay. But they're all, um, they, they did that because it made it sound exciting, white bronze kind of made it sound classier. It's actually a zinc alloy. Mm -hmm. And um, they were put out by the, um, the Connecticut, uh, what is it, the Connecticut Monument Company, Bridgeport Connecticut Monument Company. And you'll see them on, you'll see like an obelisk. Sometimes, okay. And it'll have panels around the side. And people would pick these out of a catalog and order them. Okay. And uh, they've held up really well over time. They're beautiful, gorgeous uh, monuments. And uh, so, yeah, those are some of my favorites. Kind right, of because on, on some of those obelisks, it's exactly like on one side, mm -hmm. you'll have the memorial for one family member. Ooh. And then as you go around it at the base, it has a memorial for different members, you know, like. Yeah. And this is like that family um, memorial per se. And if you tap on it, it's metal. It's probably white bronze. And, it, okay. and you might, you'll probably see on there, sometimes you'll see a little thing that says Bridgeport, Connecticut, oh, okay. Monumental Bronze Company on it. 
Yeah, you got to tap on it, and they'll sound hollow. And they're very wow. well. Uh, they went out of uh, business after World War One because the war effort needed the zinc. Oh, for okay. Armaments. There you go. The war got in the way. But but up until that, it was really they're really and they have you know really what I up nicely. I think stuff and um, you know I, I I mean lately I've gone to some cemeteries where people nowadays some of these memorials are really expensive, and yeah. I've seen where families have made their own version yeah. of a memorial like i went to i went to one cemetery up in central florida it's an it's a smaller rural cemetery huh? and they had put the guy's saddle there on oh, as part wow. of his of, you know it was great it was they did it That's really cool. really nice and it was I like, like personality I guess, right yeah it's more personalized and i could see uh -huh. you know what this speaks more than you know some of these it tells you a lot i also one that had a barrel on it because the yes. person was a barrel rider i'm like what and then you go up and then i saw there's a lasso and other stuff and i realized yes. oh a championship rider you know it was kind of cool yes uh, they, the people are taking stories. it their own their own personal touch you know i think yeah. between personalization and cost less that's why they're going but mm -hmm. you mentioned something earlier to which is because I, that's my that you said look for certain graves sometimes that are different that there was because we were talking about sometimes when people if they were objectionable whether because of who they were or what they did they kind of like if you were allowed to be buried in the cemetery they kind of like put you off or somehow made you look like that there's something wrong with that person and you were saying something about mm -hmm. even the way uh, if certain graves are facing all in one direction but you have one that's not yeah Keep an eye out. That's one thing to sort of when you're walking, just something else to keep in mind when you're, you know, going, walking through a historic graveyard is or cemetery. Pay attention to what direction the headstones are facing. So if there seems, you know, some, it, it really is varies. There's cultural reasons mm -hmm. and there are a lot of times, you know, this is not, so it's not, I like to say just because um, it's, it's written in stone doesn't mean it's written in stone. I mean, you have to right. take a lot of these things with a grain of salt. I wrote like what different symbols mean, but I tell people to take up, pay attention to the context. Okay. Um, because the same symbol, the same symbol can mean something different. Are you in a Jewish cemetery? Are you in a Christian cemetery? Right. A good example of that is a picture. So you see, not like a picture, but like a, a picture you pour water. If you're in a Jewish cemetery and someone's um, headstone has a picture on it, mm -hmm. that means they descended from the tribe of Levi. Because wow. the Levites washed the priest's hands with water. Wow, see? Yeah, that means. But if you're in a Christian cemetery and you see a picture, um, that is... That's a really fun one. That's someone you probably want to look up because they put that on the grave of a of a really righteous woman. So a woman who really? was, was very yeah yeah. Okay, and, that's in interesting. Fact, in fact, she might have checked her dates on her. She might have even been involved in the pro uh, prohibition movement. Mm -hmm. She might have been a teetotaler. Yes. Um, so wow, a teetotaler. Uh, yes. She maybe she was an axe wielding, you know, carry nation. Father. Yeah. I mean, that's someone. Like, if you see that it, it'll say something, usually the epitaph on there will be too. Like she gave her life for others and was really, you know, like whoa, this person that is so a martyr. interesting. Um, so those, just pay attention to where you that. are. When I say that, like pay attention to where you are culturally and the time. Yeah, yeah, because like, like oh, said... what did she live during prohibition? You know that. So there's so many clues, so many layers. Oh, I'm in the Christian section. Oh, this she died during, you know, in the 40s, so she was alive during prohibition. She, you know, um, this or that. It was a female. You know, you kind of can. It's fun to puzzle it all together and see what you can find. Um, but yes, so then, like, pay attention to see how. Okay, everybody's headstones. They seem to be facing east because they want to be facing east on Judgment Day. That right. sometimes um, there'll be one will be facing the other way, west, and that uh -huh. might sometimes I have seen this. Um, that can be that it's 
a minister and he wants to be facing his flock. So, you know, oh, judgment day comes, okay, he wants okay. to leave all his, so it's not really like there's in like he did something bad, but the thing to look for is, is just, I mean, but that's still an interesting story. So if, he, if everybody's yes. facing this way and then one's facing a different way from everybody or they're just off in an unkempt area, that one too is like, okay, what happened there? That's yeah. the potter's field. But if they got a, enough to have a monument, what's the deal? Are they, sometimes that's the criminals, sometimes, Yes. Um, that is someone who was ostracized in life for some reason. Mm-hmm. You never thought they were a witch. You know, there's might yeah. be some interesting story behind them. Sad story, perhaps, or just why? Why were they? Because, yeah, even in death, we do kind of people can be very uh, clickish, I guess, for yeah. like a word, a better word. You know, so those are ones when you're walking around an old cemetery and trying to figure out which one you want to research more. You know, those are those probably have stories behind them. Right, yeah, it was like the good Christian folks said, we'll bury this person, but we're not happy about it. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, they they would even go so far as, uh, I know at least in Europe, um, around the, the, uh, in the graveyard, if you committed suicide or were some other, you know, had some other blight on your character, in their opinion, um, rather than bring you through the graveyard gates, they would pass your body over the north side of the graveyard fence. Really? as a way to express, you know, there are a lot of ways to express that you yeah. were just less than kosher in their opinion, or you know, less than, I don't know, you were not of upstanding character in their mind. Right. <laughs> so and that's what we were talking about, that people don't realize that back then, people really cared about that. It was like disapproval even after you're dead. It's- oh, you know what people really cared about too that always surprises people. I love, because I, I give talks and I love giving talks about cemetery symbols. And one thing that will bring gasps from the audience sometimes, <laughs> a couple of them will, um, two things actually pretty much. But, um, let's say you or I were on vacationing in some town and uh, we died. Okay. And they just found us there on the street. We just dropped dead on the street. Um, if, Back then, you didn't really have ID a lot of times, mm-hmm. and uh, not like we do now. So if you, if you did kinfolk, no one knew who you were. They would just set you in a chair in the usually in the the window of the furniture store, and leave you there in a chair, your dead body, and hope someone would recognize you as you pass. Oh by. my god! <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I know. But I've read about that enough now that I'm kind of like, oh, okay. But I love, you know, uh, so I, I forget because I do a lot of research. And then I mention that to a crowd and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember I was pretty freaked out when I heard that too. I know, because <laughs> and, you think, God, that what? But you know gets, what? I know there's also practical. or worse. I don't know. I mean, because if you think, because, you know, you always think of that, like, you know, you look at the Westerns, you know, when they would kill the criminals and they, they would put them <laughs> in the pine boxes out in front of the saloon. So, hey, we killed them, watch. But I had never yeah. heard of that. But I know there's always a practical aspect to it. And I think mm-hmm. some of the times is besides the fact that they want somebody to come in so that the townspeople don't have to bury this unknown person because yeah. it costs well, money. Well, and sometimes you, I would read about that. Okay, so a lot of times it was a furniture store because a lot of times the furniture store was also the place that made coffins. If you didn't make your own, a lot of people made their own coffins. Right. And then they'd set them in the corner and use them as bookshelves. <laughs> you know. I mean, this oh my is God. a normal person. That, this isn't nowadays. If you're some person with a, a coffin in the bookshelf, of the, you know, you're probably kind of goth. Right, like, right, you know, right. Yeah, like, yeah, but that you was know, part that of your was... decor. It's a statement. Back then, it's just like, yeah, Grandpa made that. He's using it for his books until his time comes. You know, it's, it's like, not yeah. their different attitude they had. No, you, you have know? to be practical about things. It's like, mm-hmm. forget you really the morbidity. Practice... I mean, you mm-hmm. were um, 
oh god what was it the other day i can't remember what town was it marlene i can't remember but it was where it was a smaller town where the furniture company used to double as where they would do the wakes almost like see the furniture people Uh uh i was like what i looked at that i said is this a typo and it's like no they actually it was like this is where you would do the wake at at the furniture company Uh and i was like what okay yeah Uh, because they they, they're already making furniture and it's just sort of like furniture you're going to put in the ground so it's a little sideline for them and they got to branch out you know coffins weren't mass produced until after the civil war because that's when we really really needed it and people were dying and needing to be transported all over america so yes before that it's just like yeah i'll make you a chair i'll make you a coffin i'll make you whatever (laughs) right it was i think it was a funeral it was an obit or something like that i was reading it and i was like what yeah in the furniture company i was like what what is that little things it kind of makes me sometimes want to make a tv show of old tiny you know those little historical tidbits to just stick into a tv show that kind of make us go wow that are eye-opening you know and it hasn't only been like 100 years or so or 120 years that that would have been normal i mean wow have things changed oh here's the other thing that always kind of gets gasps from the audience is that um we have a different idea now like uh, when you die you know on your uh, on my card on my driver's license i'm an organ donor so i mm-hmm. figure if i go when there's anything usable you know on me they can have my usable what usable yeah. <laughs> they can have my corneas or my whatever you know take it uh-huh. if you want it take it and then then i haven't decided what to do after that but you know it's, i won't need my body right well right. back in like the 1800s and before that too they really believed that on judgment day you you know i've seen uh, cases where the person would have a fresh suit, a fresh press suit, a change of clothes down at their feet. So on Judgment Day, they could change really quickly to their Sunday best. It's like, yeah, okay. That, now, that's I've incredible. seen this a few times too. Like, let's, that I is know, incredible. it gets better. Um, people, if, if you had to have something amputated, like your arm or your leg or whatever, right. you would bury that next to you because on Judgment Day, you wanted all your parts. You know, you get a buddy buggy accident, you're not going to donate your body. That was a creepy idea to them. They, yes. um, they wanted everything. It was distressing if you, it was distressing to them not to have all their parts on uh, Judgment Day. So it's a different attitude towards, uh, it was very literal about you needing your body. You know, you weren't, well, of course you wouldn't be cremated. You which, want all your pieces. The, which I, from what I understand, this is why grave robbing back then, besides the obvious, was so horrendous to them, you know, because if you're mm-hmm. thinking there's nothing of me left come judgment day (laughs) i've been taken apart there used to be riots in america at at medical colleges really because the medical there was no legal way for them to obtain cadavers to do studies on right so either the students or they would hire somebody they would look for fresh corpses and um you know within a certain week window and um, there was at least 17 different riots that I managed to find out about uh, during the 1800s where people would go, um, one case really sad. I mean, this man, I just thought about it for me. It would be so distressing. Okay, so, you know, it's one thing to donate your body willingly. Mm-hmm. All right. Back then, you know, no one wanted to because you think you need it right. after you're dead. Okay, that's a, our cultural belief. But there's this conundrum because there's also this rise of um, medicine that's trying to mm-hmm. become a thing. Right. So, um, so they would. They, this man found. I heard a rumor that that he lived in Ohio. Heard a rumor that his daughter's body 
had been dug up, or, or it had been dug up, I do believe. So he's trying to track it down. They tracked it down to a medical college. So he and his buddies went to the college and just unannounced and somehow, you know, charged through there. And he found his daughter's hand. Uh, I don't know. Wow. And um, and was I can't I can't blame him for going no. bonkers. He and his buddies just set the place on fire. I mean, what are you going to yeah. do? They were so upset. So that is something that used to have before we had a more standardized and a different, you know, the cultural shift had right. to happen too. Where it, but so, so the next thing was they would then use criminals' bodies. So that didn't make it seem, that didn't make um, donating your body seem any, have a higher self-esteem. I'm not a self-esteem, but, um, you know, seem like a good thing either. If only criminals and bodies were being used. It, it took a mental shift um, yes. among people and but there were a lot of things too. There's some interesting patents out there for you can search the internet for them. And I have a in my book I talk about it a bit too. The exploding coffins, things that would. Um, Are you, you kidding? Like up, a booby get, trap coffin? There's pretty cool. Ones. Oh you can see these old time drawings, figure one, figure two, these really elaborate drawings. And another wow. thing you can do to avoid, um, you know, the void. They call them the resurrectionists. Mm -hmm. I think that's yeah. Kind of a cool name. Yeah. So one way to avoid being dug up uh, was they would put them in receiving vaults. So if you're in a historic, this is something to keep in mind. So if you're in a historic graveyard or you know, cemetery and you're wandering around and you see a really old storage shed, but mm -hmm. it's kind of fancy, like maybe it's made of stone or brick and it has maybe, you know, it's just a little fancier than just a garden shed right. and it's fairly large, that may once have been a receiving vault. So sometimes what they would do is, uh, number one, well, if, it was, if you were living north and the ground freezes and it's, you, you can't, yes, the graveyard right. can't, can't dig, dig. You, you know, if, you, if it's, permafrost you know happening in, in the winter they can't dig your grave so they would have to store your body until the springtime and then dig so that was mm -hmm. one reason for the receiving vault another reason for the receiving vault though was to keep your body until it wouldn't be wanted by a grave digger that was another sometimes a strategy you know and some cemeteries would hire night watchmen other right. cemeteries of course um so the you know they would then target the where poorer people were buried so like right. more country cemeteries and things so they would do things like alternate dirt with straw because it's harder to dig if you keep hitting straw okay. the theory was that would slow you down because if you're a grave robber who's going to steal you gotta be really fast right to, yeah yeah know. yeah it's so like if, get in if, and if out try, we'll try this one. Oh, it's oh, okay forget it let's go over to this one you know so that was another there were a lot of strategies i really kind of got like into like wow this could be a whole book on its own pretty much every chapter in my book i felt like wow you know i think each of these i've got so much research i couldn't stick in the book because i want it to be kind of concise a good overview but there's so many little sidewinding oh, yeah. roads that i still in the research i could dig in <laughs> literally dig well, into more one of the things that i found uh because i was doing also research you know like you know after the civil war which is when they put up a lot of the big uh asylums or sanitariums the mental oh, yeah. you know oh. poor houses slash whatever you know that they would just mm -hmm. well, your husband's they, mad at you he you know yeah he declares you insane whatever i want to get rid of my wife which by the way i ran across a couple of those stories you know i'm gonna say she's of, mentally ill are... and commit her and yeah yes. and move on with my girlfriend to another state whatever um oh. they they would donate Unfortunately, because many times the families just didn't care, had moved away, they would donate their mm -hmm. bodies or give their bodies over to uh, for oh. the universities and things like yeah. that. Because, okay, see? again, most of the time, nobody was there to claim the body. And once mm -hmm. there was nobody there, basically, these asylums that were nine times out of ten run by the state had the mm -hmm. option of doing whatever they wanted to 
with the remains. And they can make a little money selling it to the college and no one's going to come. Exactly. Exactly. Ah. The universities, of course, were the big ones because that's where all the medical students were attending. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, um, you know, refrigeration is not what it is now as far as to keep a corpse. So, yeah, a Mm -hmm. lot of the patients um, that ended up dying uh, in in a lot of these asylums, that's where they ended up at. They would be given over to the university for uh, dissection and, and anatomy and and again, no family there to say, what are you doing? So that was the end of that. Yes. And, so. I, and sometimes I've come across ones where they were trying to defend the criminal. So the family spends all the money on lawyers and everything. Yes. And then when the person, you know, dies in prison or is, it doesn't go well, <laughs> they, yes. they can't claim the body. So No. And then back then, yeah, people don't realize that uh, sometimes even the, if you were really, really poor, even a simple casket or transporting it was beyond your means. So, yeah, you know, you really didn't have much choice. And that, you know, and that, as a matter of fact, that's where a lot of times you would end up with those pauper's graves in some of the cemeteries. Even if you know we're not talking, uh, um, you know, especially yeah. if you had somebody die out there where there was no family or the family didn't show up or couldn't have the body shipped back to them, it was like, okay, we need to bury this person. Okay, just put him over there in the corner. <laughs> So. I know. Yeah, there are also African American slave uh, yes. graveyards. They are constantly. I I post a lot of this. I have a, a Facebook page where mm-hmm. if anyone who's watching this wants to post things um interesting graves they've seen or um I post articles. I posted a few recently about just different African American slave uh, cemeteries that have been accidentally discovered. Um, yes. Recently, even yes. and they. And you know, now they're trying to preserve them and figure out who's there. And it's really a labor of love for some historians. They've managed to trace some things back. Yes. Or they, they, yeah, they're doing some and... type of, um, what was it in, uh, I want to say it's about, this came out like less than a year ago. It's got oh. University of Mississippi on their medical uh-huh. campus. Same thing. They were doing some type of, uh, because, you know, back then they would even segregate sometimes the insane asylums. And they oh. were digging up. Wow some type of the uh some ground for something they were going to build something do something and they discovered not hundreds thousands of graves oh wow of yeah these people that were african-american that had been in um in this asylum and had died and back then they they weren't going to put up any memorials or anything like that and as time goes by and they repurposed the buildings for other things everybody forgets that that field Mm -hmm. out there is living with bodies yeah <laughs> uh so yeah like you're saying every once in a while they're doing a road or they do something they start coming up with all these uh surprise <laughs> all these different yeah it, and some of it i i mean they're pretty urban areas occasionally mm-hmm. i think i just saw an article the other day about a place in brooklyn you know you would think they would yes. have found everything in a such a population such a dense population that they finding you know what you know, finding um, cemeteries there most of the times i've run across sometimes the stories and it's almost like what you said like the poltergeist you know how the poltergeist movie yeah they were supposed to yeah. move the bodies but they never did it's the same mm-hmm. thing when they start digging up and they come across what they, they realize it's a cemetery or graveyard when they go back in the records they say oh yeah a hundred years ago supposedly they moved and it was the, almost a cliche a horse yeah they cliche. moved oh, up they on the ancient Move the bodies to uh, this uh, new cemetery. But let's face it, these businessmen were thinking, that's a lot of money. Take a few of them I and just, 
Forget it. Forget it. Don't worry. Don't, it doesn't matter. I, I just read an interesting book kind of along those lines. Um, it's called Digging for Daddy. And it's about oh. this woman. She just tried to fulfill a simple, not such a simple quest, but her, her mom's dying wish was that um, she lives and her family now live in Texas, but the father was buried up in Chicago. Okay. And they wanted to get his body transported to Texas and just have everybody all buried in a family vault down there. Okay. It's easy. They went up. She had attended her father's, you know, he died when she was young, like, but not that young. I think she was a teenager. I mean, she was, it wasn't like she was so little. She couldn't remember anything. And they were part of a church. Uh, and so she remembered even who had attended the funeral. Okay. And she knew what her dad's headstone looked like, where it was. But it had been a while since she'd been there. She travels up, mm-hmm. you know, he gets permission to exhume his body. Number one, they had to dig the body. They had to do the digging themselves, like with shovels. They were not allowed to take a, a backhoe on there because it would have been, they thought that was too destructive for the, yeah, so that was a big eye opener. So she and her family literally digging that up. They bring it up and it, long story short, it is the wrong grave. So they try a whole bunch of, I forget how many graves they dig up, nine or 10, and huh. they do DNA testing and they are not, nobody's buried where they're supposed to be. And every time she arrives, the, the clergy members of all, they, they're conveniently out of town. What? Um, yes. Oh. So I'm on an interview, Dad, so I can't talk right now. It's not... <laughs> Larry's in the other room. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Don't worry about that. <laughs> you know, it happens. Um, Believe so... me, I, do. I know. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, I, usually I make little signs, and I don't. I'm, I'm, you know, since I'm down here for the winter, I have all sorts of signs at home that say, I'm on air right now, or this or that. I've got animals. I've got birds. So every once in a while, I'll be doing a show, and you'll my dogs will bark, or my birds will go. So don't don't worry about that. I'm surprised my cat's just staying asleep the whole time. (laughs) Anyway, there's my father-in-law walking around behind us. You're on the you're on air, Dad. Anyway, um, not to worry. It was it was quite a a, um, interesting book. If anyone wants to read it, Digging for Daddy. So in other words, what they thought was going to be a simple let's bring Daddy home. Mm-hmm. turned out to be that's incredible because uh, yes it makes you wonder what did they do with uh, you know it kind of looks like it was a similar thing they were supposed to um they just i think buried sold moved the headstones and then moved the bodies and then resold the plots mm-hmm. to other people over time and so they started to do it correctly and some bodies were found but then they just slacked off and who knows and they didn't keep good records and it's just a big yeah it's a really horrifying tale i just kind of read it one afternoon i couldn't stop let me tell you something i'm going to look that up i'm going to look that up because let me tell you something that just happens to be more common i think that people realize it's just that people Mm -hmm. never go back and find themselves wanting or having to do that you might want to interview her she's a really interesting lady i haven't met her in person but God, that's really that's like something I bet you mm-hmm. she when they started that it was like this is it takes you off mm-hmm. in a direction it you did. never expect. And, and then, plus it well, yeah, they went through huge personal emotional, you know, duress and personal expense to go up there and get this now mm-hmm. because of what they're doing and their tenacity, there is some legislation going through to protect this from happening again. It was not legislated, it was not overseen. It was not it's something you would think people would be required to keep track of, but the it just all fell through the cracks. No one was really keeping track of it, and they were able to, you know, it, has, it, happens, more, it happens more often than you think. Well, guess, that's what I was about to say. I, you think that was an isolated happened. incident? No. Yeah, no. Not at all. That was my big eye-opener. That, and that they had to do all the digging themselves. 
finally they got some publicity and a guy came with a backhoe and was able to help in certain areas, but there were still some areas where they had to physically just spend hours. And I just kind of, how traumatic would that be? You digging up your own ancestor? I, I, would, I don't know. I, it would be tough. Well, a, about a year ago in San Francisco, there was a family. They live in the, I want to say it's Richmond Heights. Mm-hmm. They're doing, uh, they're renovating their garage or they're doing something with their garage. And they, they decide they're going to go to Idaho and the workmen, when they're digging, they find a grave underneath oh. the house. Comes mm-hmm. out, it's, a, it's, it's one of these small coffins. It was, it was a child and it had oh, a yeah. window on it. When they look, it's they have perfectly preserved little blonde girl oh inside gosh, of it, one of those. holding oh. a rose. So wow. of course they come back, and the family gets a hold of the city, and the city's like, "Well, whatever, what, you do whatever you want." I don't know. <laughs> they <laughs> they put her in touch with this uh, organization, which supposedly takes care of uh, burying like unwanted children, children that don't have families. Yeah. But that, between the family and the organizations, and everybody pitched in, they start trying to figure out, comes to find out, uh, originally that whole area had been part of a cemetery. Same story. They had moved certain bodies, a certain map, I bet you the most economical way, so they left a bunch of these graves in there. Mm -hmm. And... um, No one will ever know. Well, they did. They (laughs) did find out, believe it or not, the university Mm -hmm. stepped in. And they oh, opened wow. it up real quick. She it was airtight. That's why she was also so well oh. preserved. Mm-hmm. Um, they took uh, like a hair follicle, mm-hmm. and uh, they were able to, you know, for DNA purposes. Mm-hmm. And then they started looking at old maps of the cemetery that used to be there, trying to kind of like narrow down a, you know, because she looked to be like a toddler like deaths and families. Oh, mm-hmm. Bottom line, believe it or not, they were able to identify her like a year later and they oh, were able really to neat. find her family still living over there in California. Really? I'm going to yes, look that article. Um, where uh, because of the, of the <laughs> hair follicle, they were able mm-hmm. to match the DNA because they, they finally narrowed it down to certain families and then mm-hmm. they were able to find a living person of the family, luckily, and take a DNA wow. swab and compare it and that's how they confirmed this is who that little girl was. <laughs> and it oh, turned gosh. out it was her great, great or grand, grand, grand nephew. Who was, he's an older gentleman now that still lived out in California. Mm-hmm. So they were able really to do neat. a DNA uh, comparison. And mm-hmm. it, uh, I mean, when you see the picture, she looks like a little doll in this oh, little lead coffin. And oh. uh, <clears throat> they had determined that she had died of something what they call miasmus, which is like that basically a child wastes away. They just, for some reason, they oh. stop making it, their body stops taking in nutrients. Oh, and, failure um, to thrive. She, yeah. you know, she passed away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what they were saying was, obviously this child was very well loved mm-hmm. uh, because of the way she was buried and everything. And mm. she had a rosary made of uh, eucalyptus seeds. I mean, there was, everything was in there since it was airtight. Oh, she was perfectly wow. in there. That's really a historical record as yes, well. Yes, it is. Practices. It is. I mean, and um, pretty, from the archaeological standpoint, yeah. and the historical and the yes. cultural, and, um, there's a lot to learn there. And, the, and they said, well, and the, also the family had to be pretty well off, you know, because they were, you know. Yeah. And luckily, the family member was still living in California and they were able that to match really it great. up. And they did like a, they reburied her because mm-hmm. they had given her uh, before they were, you know, at some point they thought, we don't even know where we're going to find her. They had given her the name of Miranda Eve. 
And oh, okay. they had buried her. And then they, they, they re- did another ceremony and they filled in mm-hmm. her her gravestone. Reinterred her somewhere. Yes, uh-huh. it was in a different cemetery. I think it's in Colma in California. Oh, yeah, I want to go mm-hmm. there. That's pretty amazing. And I thought it was such a, it was a really, really interesting story. Mm-hmm. But getting back to what we were talking about, that a lot of times <laughs> these graveyards or these cemeteries, because I, I'm glad you pointed out that difference for me. These cemeteries. But like I use them interchangeably, but you know, you know they like a technical um, difference. If you, want you know, these people that were doing back then, these businessmen, they were looking at budgets and expediency. They didn't care about sentimental stuff like mm-hmm. that was your grandma, your grandpa, your kid. All they were thinking yeah. was, oh, okay, like take some over there and forget it. If they don't know about it, you know. yeah. And then so. the next thing you know is you're doing a renovation on your garage and you dig up a coffin. It's like, okay. So there you go. Another person just walked in, so I'm like, "Don't worry about it." Well, you know what? Okay. We thank you so much for the time you spent for me. I, I, this is I could if I don't I could talk and talk hours and hours about this because I, I think it's so fascinating about the cemetery symbols. I enjoyed this so much, and I wanted to thank I you for the time to, that you spent. Yeah, I want to tell people um, if they want to get just a little brief guide to the meaning of of hands mm-hmm. in cemeteries, they can just go by my website tuisnyder.com. You okay. can sign up for my newsletter, which I don't send out that often. And okay. as a thank you, you get a little PDF. And it's just a good way to get started. It tells you what different hands mean. Like, what does it mean pointing up? What does it mean pointing down? Yeah. You know, when hand different types of handshakes and just a, a little bit. I have a whole chapter on the hands. But this is just a little a thing I like to give out when I give a talk. As a I think that's great. I, I think it's fascinating. People might enjoy it. And then the other thing I wanted to say, drop by my Facebook page. You can just type in okay. grave hour as one word <laughs> and it'll pop up and you can uh, share like, that. If you are watching this and you think, oh, I have a symbol. I'm wondering what it means. You can share it there and we'll, you know, me and the community there will help you figure it out. And it's just a fun place. Excellent. I like it, a place where I can go and talk about graveyards. I will be hooking up. Like you, I could talk about this all day and I, I appreciate you having I me love on. It. Thank you. No, thank you so much. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, guys. I'm such a dweeb. (laughs) I am. I admit it. I'm such a dweeb. (laughs) Because I think this stuff is so fascinating. To me, it is. It is. It's super fascinating because I feel like, um, I don't know if it's because I do so many um, visits to cemeteries um and you know you realize these are people these or were people i'm saying uh sometimes with their own uh story you know some of them you know inevitably we all die but especially when you look at some of these graves where they were either young or children you know it's very sad or you know there's drama sometimes there sometimes it's not sometimes it's just ordinary lives that end up where we all end up at dying but um yeah, especially in the older parts, there's a lot of symbology that I myself, I'm going to get that book because there's a lot of stuff that I've seen that I was like, I wonder what that means. And I know it means something. Um, so, yeah, for any of those cemetery aficionados, even if you're not a ghost hunter, definitely her book is something to get. I know I'm getting it, like I said, because um, and uh, even in and, and especially like she said about those um, those graves that sometimes depending on the reason, but sometimes that they face different ways or slant or as a matter of fact we were talking about it before we started to record where uh back then you know we're talking 
you know, maybe after the Civil War, turn of the century, a little bit. Um, when you died, you know, people even then were they would object to being connected to you even after you died. They didn't want you buried in the same graveyard, or they wanted to shake their finger at you even on the other side, like either burying you in the corner, burying you in a different way. They wanted to and um, castigate the person somehow or other. Uh, in other words, they wanted, and let's face it, nowadays, if you walk into a cemetery, you really don't know by looking at gravestones who was a good person, who was a bad person, who did good things, bad things, whatever. And back then, this they didn't want you to be buried among the good people and for nobody to know that maybe you had done something wrong, whether it was morally wrong or whatever, questionable. It could have been the most simplest thing. They wanted, if anybody visited that cemetery, to know that somehow or other you had been a bad person or you had did something that was not right. <laughs> it's like that thing about the, the the Christian symbolism of the pitcher for possibly a super, super straight-hour teetotaler woman. I gotta look at that. So guys, I hope you like the show. Uh, please like the video, subscribe to my channel, catch me on Facebook and on Twitter. I stream a lot there. Uh, again, I'm going to put out a call to my true believers. Guys, if you've got a story to say, film yourself and send it to me. Uh, go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. You'll find a connection there. Marlene at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Uh, you know, you can do it with your phone. If you want to just record yourself into an MP3, tell the story. I get a lot of stories on emails. Uh, and I know I'm losing something in translation. Uh, and I promise I'll either include it, the recording, retell it, or just show your actual video uh, of you telling me the story. You know, you don't, if you don't want to admit, if you want to admit full names, that's fine. However you want to tell the story. It doesn't, you don't have to have experienced it. If it's a family story, you know, the families pass along generation to generation about the haunting at the old farm. I don't care. I'm not out to prove it. I just, I just love hearing these stories uh, about experiences that people have had or their families have had or locations, even if it was something like what she was describing about when she was a kid. She hears something or somebody jumping on the bed. Hello. <laughs> what is that? I think that was such a great story. And it's almost, you know, how they look at the, the movies now. Nobody believes the little kid. There you go. Nobody believes the little kid. And she was left to her own devices to confront it. But I think that was such, that was an excellent, I love that story. That's what I'm hoping some of you true believers are going to send me. Again, send it to me. I, I, I'm really interested in that. So guys, thank you so much for viewing this or listening on podcasts. Like I said, if you don't find me on YouTube, I'm on iTunes, I'm on Spreaker, I'm on iHeartRadio. I'm on SoundCloud. You can catch the podcast version of this, or you can even go to storiesofthesupernatural.info and you can either listen to the podcast or download it also from there. So either way, however it is that you access us, again, I want to say you have my deepest thanks and please come back.